Join me, if you would, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, as we continue our study. And we've just, the last two lessons, we've just had some introductions to this. And we have noted that to enjoy and appreciate, and I, I did some thinking about this, to enjoy and appreciate any book of the Bible, we have to have a view about God that is revealed from Scripture and that He is, he is Almighty. And when he says he's almighty, that's exactly what he means. He isn't almost almighty, or almighty sometimes, but he is the Lord God Almighty all the time. That's God. We, sh we shouldn't, but we do have to give descriptions of God sometimes, that he is sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. And sometimes we have to give descriptions of grace. It's not works. It's not doing something. It's a gift of God. And uh, then we find in the scriptures that God, too, helps us out by being redundant. Lord God Almighty. Three times he says the same thing in three words. So he reminds us. So we remind ourselves and we remind others. Well, last week we looked just a little bit at the word apocalypse. And the world's view of apocalypse and what the Bible has to say about it are two different, diametrically opposed views. The world has imminent destruction of the world and great or total devastation. And yet when we look that word up in the Bible, we find it is just absolutely opposite of that. It's enlightenment. It's opening up. It's giving us an understanding of. And given the two, I want the Bible's view. <laughs> that's, that's the one we can count on. So I just want to look at a couple of verses in review before we go on to this verse and the first one, again, is found the first time this particular word is found in Scripture, and that's in the book of Luke, chapter 3. Luke, chapter 3, and the description here just gives us a real beautiful picture of how to view that word when we get to Revelation, chapter 1, and verse 1. A light to lighten. Now, if there's anything I want out of that book, it's to be lightened enlightened. I want to know about my Savior, and this book is going to spend its time sharing that information with me. It is not predicting the future, though there are some things that are noted for future. It is not predicting anything. It is declaring, and by and large, this book declares that the Lord Jesus Christ is the absolute successful Lamb of God sitting on a throne and the world will pay him homage and fulfill the words that the Apostle Paul was used to write, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess the Lord Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Now, if there's a verse that really sums this book up, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. And we find that a number of times in this book. Angels bowing and confessing. And inhabitants of this earth bowing and confessing. And even the critters paying homage to God. The Proverbs tell us that even the lions depend on the Lord for food. So all things are subject unto him. And this book is a light to lighten us. Notice here in Luke chapter 3 verse 32... This is the first time that this word apocalypse is used in the Bible, and it shares with us, did I get that wrong? 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 32. 
chapter 2, verse 32, this word lighten found in this verse of Scripture is the same word in the original language that we find over in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. And that word is lighten. Now that, that means to open up, to take, pull back the veil. There's so many ways that we can look at that, but this is a wonderful blessing to God's people and to whoever God ever opens up their eyes of understanding and permits them to see the Lord Jesus Christ. To that person, it is the glorious, most glorious day of all their life when they are permitted to see the Lord Jesus Christ, when he enlightens them, when he, as it says here, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Now, that shares with us some things about our condition by nature. We're in darkness. And it's a serious darkness. I like what they said about the darkness and what the Bible says about the darkness down in Egypt because that's really the spiritual darkness that we're in, a darkness you can feel. Uh, there is no light coming through it whatsoever. We are cut off from all light. Not only is there no light coming to us, but our eyes are blind and couldn't see it if it was. And then the Lord gives us eyes to see and at the same time gives us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to see at the immediate same time. So it's a light to lighten the Gentiles. And then in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, we also mentioned this last week, but it's just a wonderful verse as the Apostle Paul shares with uh, the uh, people, the church at Ephesus, but also with us, that this is a revelation. It's an opening up. And he shares it about himself and shares about his ministry in particular. And he says here, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Ephesians, the scriptures share this, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given unto me, you word, how that by revelation, that's that same word, he made known unto me the mystery. Now, that's a far cry from imminent doom. <laughs> He made known unto me the mystery. Now, if you drop down to verse 6, this is the mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, that's the revelation that was given unto the Apostle Paul. It was hidden to many. It's revealed to his elect, and shared with them that we are not just going to be Jews or Gentiles, but there will be a body of people made up of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue, and those that in it can rejoice in the grace of Almighty God together, knowing that if it wasn't for the grace of God, even as the prophet Isaiah said, if it was not for a very small remnant, we should be as Sodom and we should be as Gomorrah. So it is the grace of God that opens up this very small remnant and to them is given the grace of God. And to them it is known the mysteries of the gospel, the mysteries that there will be Jews and Gentiles all brought to the Lord Jesus Christ by the gospel, by the grace of the gospel. So the Apostle Paul shares this with the Ephesians and says, this is the same word we're going to find over in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ.
a light to lighten, a revelation, an understanding, taking the, the, the cover back, opening it up, making it so people can see this is what God is going to do for us in the book of Revelation. Now, over there in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, we find that the three, next three words share with us the revelation is of what? The rest of the book is going to be this. This is what the book's about. It is not mysterious things. It's not things to be afraid of. The book of Revelation, I read in one of, back of my Bible in one of those. That's why I said, let's refrain from reading that stuff. It's the most difficult book in all the Bible to understand. And then went on to say, but it has been a comfort to all Christians in all times. Well, it is difficult when we miss verse 1. If we go to that book with the idea that this is just going to share with us end-time prophecy, we're going to miss the greatest blessing. In this, as in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or any of the other books of the Bible, this is the message of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it is a comfort to God's people, and it's a comfort to us because we are all in perilous times. Every generation has lived in perilous times. There have been great onslaughts against the truth. Now, we may not have had people fighting our borders, but there's always been the onslaught against the truth of the gospel, and there's always been attempts to water it down and to make it less than it is and to make God less than he is and to make man more than he is. There's always been this onslaught, and the scriptures continue to share with us that Jesus Christ is on his throne, and man needs a serious Savior because man is in a serious problem, and that's the fall. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, the three next words share with us what this whole book is going to be about, what it is a revelation of. When we read about the Lamb some 30 times, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we read about him being a uh, slain and then made alive, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is, as it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to spend some time tonight on just those two terms. Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, now this has been a blessing to me. You know it because I've read this almost in every service <laughs> since Mike read it one morning and I says, whoa, that's what it says. John chapter 1, verse 43. John chapter, sometimes I get so I'm so inclined to look at the forest I miss the trees <laughs> going through there just so often so often there every once in a while I have to tell Nancy or mention to her says when did they put that verse in there <laughs> the ink is dry I realize but when did they put because I passed over now this John chapter 1 verse 43 the scriptures share this the day following, and I, I was true to form. I read this three times in rescue. It was just such a blessing to me. And I tried to leave that with them. This is what the Old Testament is about. 
Look, notice with me. The day following, Jesus went forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. Now that's, that's the heart of the whole matter. <laughs> Philip would have had no interest at all if it hadn't been Christ finding him first. Now we say we found Christ, but we better precede that with he found me first because that's the only way we find him. It is summed up in these words by John. We love him because he first loved us. And everything that we have and hold on to in Christ can be preceded by that. We have we love his grace because his grace was given to us and all this. It's he's always the first reason first cause for all things. We're not the instigator. We're not the one that brings it up. He's the one that gives it to us. We love him because he first loved us. Now, notice here, Philip, uh, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now, it could have just as easily been said at that point, he must needs go through just like he did about the woman at the well. He must go find this man. It was appointed. There was a time appointed. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him. Now this, this is just, this makes the book of Revelation such a blessing. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what's been going on since the very beginning. Because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy could all be said to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it says right here. It says he first findeth his, uh, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, it doesn't stop with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The book of Ruth, Job, Psalms, all the Old Testament prophets, all the Psalms, all is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we have in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, we have a compact statement about the Lord Jesus Christ that is drawn from many Old Testament passages. It is the revealing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it is interesting when we look at this. Go to another, just back up a little bit to Luke chapter 24. The Lord said the same thing about the Old Testament. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, there is the history of the Jews, but the history of the Jews is mindless and meaningless if it isn't the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's no reason to have the Jews if it wasn't for the Lord. Now, here in the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the Old Testament is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he said that. He expounded unto them. What does that mean? He enlightened them. He opened up their understanding. He made them to understand it. Now, they did not probably understand all, but they had a lot greater view of it than they had before. Now, they were blinded to the Lord Jesus until he allowed them to see him. And then he expounded unto them. And then in the latter part of that same chapter, verse 44, it says, 
And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So all these things that were mentioned in the Old Testament needed to be, must be, and were fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a number of other places in the Bible that talk about this very thing, about what the apostles preached. They preached Christ. One of them that comes to my mind that is a serious thing, remember the account of the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus was a poor beggar, but he knew about Christ. And the rich man was a rich man that could care less. And they both died. And in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes. Now he saw Abraham afar off. And now I don't understand this, but I know what I read. And I'm not going to make it any bigger than it is. But I don't want to make it any less. But that rich man asked Abraham, would you please go back to my five brothers and tell them about this place? Do you remember what Abraham said? If they'll not believe Moses and the prophets, they'll not believe the one rose from the dead. Now that's serious, because that's all they had at the time, but it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The salvation of Lazarus depended upon him hearing the gospel out of the Old Testament. And the salvation of Nathaniel and Peter and David and Solomon depended upon them hearing the gospel out of the Old Testament. And the gospel is there is because that's where Jesus Christ preached the gospel from. And that's where Peter and Paul preached the gospel from. So it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the message of Christ. But in this book, we're going to have... All of it put together in a few short chapters and telling us about the glory of our Savior described from the Old Testament. Now, there, this name Jesus, I like it because the Bible declares it's a great name. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, if you would. We're going to be looking at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus in the book of Matthew, the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that his engaged wife, his fiancée, was pregnant before they got married. And he, being a just man, decided to put her away privately and not have her stoned to death. Now that's what it boils down to. I'll just put her away. I... We'll no, we won't ever talk about this. I'll never bring it up. I'll go marry someone else. She can go her way. I'll go my way. Now, the Lord steps in because it's unbeknownst to Joseph that this woman that he's engaged to is the woman that was described in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That this, there would be a woman that would bear the Son of God into this world. Now wit turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1.
It tells us in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, engaged, before they came together as husband and wife, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a, engaged, but it was a, the engagement then was a serious thing. Okay? It, it, it was more than a, she carrying around a ring on her finger. All right. Before they came together, and then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now, it says, you know, he had the love of God in his heart. And this is not what I intended, and this is not what I wanted. But things have come out like this, and I'm just going to put her away privately, and I'm going to step out of the scene, and I'm not going to create a scene, and I'm just going to leave it alone. Well, like all men, we need sleep, don't we? <laughs> and it says, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, in my Bible, Jesus is about this tall, all capitals. Call his name Jesus. Now all this was done that it might fulfill which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. For he shall save. Now that word Jesus means Savior. And Jesus in the New Testament is the same word that we find in the Old Testament, Joshua. And that's why Joshua makes such a beautiful picture of our Savior as he took the children of Israel into the promised land. Thank God Almighty Moses was left out. He's a picture of the law. And God does not save his people by the law. He saves his people by his Son and by grace. So his name is Jesus. Now, turn with me over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 8. And I want to show you that while the, while the translators were going along, they got confused a time or two, and this is one of them. And it's so confused, they put Jesus here when it should have been Joshua. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. Now, anything that the Lord intended to do, he accomplished. So if someone says they didn't get the job done, it certainly is not talking about the Lord Jesus. It might be talking about Joshua, and that's what it has happened right here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. She'll call his name Jesus. Same name. Old Testament Joshua. New Testament Jesus. And here in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 8, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? And it goes on to tell us what the Lord did for us, but this should have been translated Joshua, and probably your Bibles have done that. Okay, it should be Joshua. 
because Joshua got, didn't get all things done because he's human, but the Lord Jesus Christ did. And I looked this up in the concordance and I went down through, I knew it was in here. I was trying to find it, it went down and down. You know how many times Jesus is mentioned in the concordance? Ooh, I'm going down, going down, going down, going down. Couldn't find it. I knew it was in the book of Hebrews. At the last, it says word number two, Jesus should be translated Joshua. And in most of the Bibles, they've done that. So there was such a view about the relationship, the view of Joshua and Jesus naming in the same thing, that this was translated incorrectly here, and it should have been Joshua. All right, Jesus is Savior. It's a name given to the virgin-born Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the body that was prepared. I want us to look at the book of Hebrews... What did I put down here? I think it's chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Excuse me. Chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Now, this is the body that's prepared. This is Jesus. This is the son that was given. This is the child that was given. There has always been the eternal son of God. And at this moment, the eternal son of God takes upon himself flesh. That's Jesus. For as much... Verse 14 of the second chapter. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it is behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So he took upon himself a form like his brethren. He took upon himself flesh and blood. Now that's the Jesus, the Savior. Now the other part that we have here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Christ means anointed. We get the word Messiah in the Old Testament from the same word that we have Christ in the New Testament. It means anointed. It means to be set apart. It is the same thing that took place. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word Messiah and anointed many times are translated from the same word, and it was what happened to the priest, and this is what the priest did. They anointed. He was set apart in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. This is the eternal Son of God. This is a word, a, a definition, a, a name given to the eternal Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one, and when they come together... In the body that was prepared, the Son of God coming to the Son of Man, it is called, as we read it, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is the marriage between 
the eternal, everlasting Son of God from the covenant of grace and the body that was prepared. So when we go to the book of Revelation, we're looking at the revelation, the revealing of Jesus, the Savior of his people that has been promised from eternity, the everlasting Son of God. When we go over there to the book of the Old Testament, we read about one that's been sitting on a throne, a kingdom. He has a kingdom. It's not down here on this earth. It's in heaven. And his kingdom is made up of his subjects. And he's drawing them out of every kindred, people, and tongue throughout all time and making up one body, which is his body, the body of believers, the body of Christ. This is his anointed. They have been anointed like he has been anointed. Now, it tells us there in the book of Acts, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, I don't understand all I know about that, but he was delivered in that covenant of grace, and he purposed in himself, as well as the others in the Godhead, to lay down his life, a ransom for his sheep, so that they could go free. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. In the council halls of eternity, God the Father gave the Son a gift, and that gift is people, and it's the most glorious part that we could ever be in. Because those are the ones that are going to be awakened, enlightened, revealed, allowed to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in eternity, learn of the mystery of godliness, the glories of Jesus Christ, the marriage between the eternal son and the son that was given, a marriage between spirit and and flesh eternal in the heavens and it is because of that that we can know him as our savior he could not lay down his life unless he became like us and for a season on the cross he laid aside his deities for the suffering of death so as we go through this we're going to see the revelation of the savior the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that's been sought after and looked for, the one that Abraham looked for, the one that Joseph looked for and Mary looked for, and the one we look for as he comes the second time. So it is the revelation of Jesus. You shall name, call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the Savior. And along with that, we're going to find so often in Scripture the term Christ, which means it didn't start in Bethlehem. It didn't start under David. David wrote a lot about the Messiah. It didn't start with Adam. It started before the foundation of the world. And we find in the book of Revelation that he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before Adam was created and placed in the Garden of Eden, there was a lamb. And this is a sacrificial lamb. This is a lamb that's for sacrifice purposes. And he was set aside before the world began and in time, he came and was born Jesus.
we know him as Jesus Christ, and we often add the word Messiah, but we're just saying Christ in two different ways. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We're just saying it again. We're emphasizing Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, Messiah. We've just said it four times, who he is. And the names, we find them in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, share with us many glories about the Lord. Now, so we start this book. This is the revelation of the Savior, the Anointed One. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation of the Messiah. And we can go through, as we go through, we're looking for Him. We're looking for Him. We're looking for His ministry. We're looking for what He does for His sheep. We're not looking for mysteries in the sense of <clears throat> what's going to happen to this world. We're looking for what God's doing with this world. We're looking for what Christ is doing with this world and how he rules over it and how many times everybody in the world bows down. Everything in the earth and under the earth and beside the earth and beneath the earth bow down in his presence. And the glory of this lamb and every enemy that comes up against him without reservation. Now they may look like Sputniks and they may look like uh, these helicopters that, could just take a whole town off the face of the earth. They may look like serpents. Whatever. My enemies are kind of ugly. Sin is ugly. Every enemy of the church is ugly. We could describe it in a thousand different ways and not make it beautiful. But every one of them is going to fall under the mighty hand of God. And it doesn't matter what we describe them like. We can describe them. What is that, that thing that's got that tail? Scorpion, we can describe it like that. It's got poison in its tail. It's just going to fall. Whatever it looks like and however it's described, it's going to fall. Jesus Christ is going to reign. And he is going to sit at the right hand of the Father with his feet on his footstool. He's going to be waiting until every enemy is made his footstool. And the worst enemy in this world, to the Lord Jesus Christ, are his lost sheep before he brings them in. Saul of Tarsus is an example. He was a wicked man, and Jesus Christ put his foot on his neck, and he bowed, and he made him his footstool. And you know what? The church says, wherever you want me. Do you want me to move just a little bit? I'll move for you. That's what the church will do for Jesus Christ. He's the king. All right, we're going to stop there, and then we'll pick up here in the book of Revelation as we start this first chapter. And uh, It just, the light blinds you. We're going to see the Lord, and if you painted this and said this is what he looks like, it's a monstrosity. If you say this is, a, this is such a glorious picture of his spiritual person, we go away saying, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful. He has his way and sway. He leads and directs and commands. We just walk away and say, that's my God. That's my God. And we just thank God for it. All right, we'll get into that first chapter and 
See the description that God gives of his son. Eyes as a flame of fire. A sword in his mouth. Now if we paint it literal, we're going to have a problem. If we paint spiritual, we're going to have the most beautiful. We're going to have the Song of Solomon's view of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's altogether lovely. All right.